One of the things that we had that I see often inside of this community of entrepreneurs is that we think too long and hard about the impact that we want to create in the world and we design around it without executing on some of our amazing ideas. The reality of the, of that scenario is that you're robbing the world of your agility when you know that you can continue to learn and adjust along the journey. If you have this amazing idea, Stop thinking about it and do something today that contributes towards your goal. Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Guest, here with another special one-on-one This time, I'm actually joined by a CEO of a company, entrepreneur, formerly incarcerated, uh, Marcus Bullock. Like I said, he's an entrepreneur. He's a justice reform advocate. He's also, he's even a uh, TED speaker. Uh, Following his 2004 release from prison, he launched a construction business that grew to employ other returning citizens. Marcus is a founder of FlickShop, uh, Inc., a software company that builds tools to help incarcerated people stay connected to their families and build community. He also founded the Flick Shop of Business, or excuse me, Flick Shop School of Business, a program that teaches returning citizens life skills and entrepreneurship. And lastly, Marcus is on the board of directors for the Justice Policy Institute. So Marcus, um, I'm really, really thankful to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. Yeah, it is. It is. We've been doing a lot of uh, conversations around how to reform our criminal justice system. Uh, we ended our season three talking about criminal justice reform. Uh, we picked up this season talking about, you know, marijuana reform, drug, you know, the war on drugs, uh, how we can reform policing, how we can reform our prison system. So I wanted to really talk to you about it as someone who's gone through that and someone who's come out and actually just blossomed and doing a lot of great things. Wanted to really get your thoughts. So our first segment is just really to kind of talk about your story here and to kind of start off the conversation. Uh, I know that you were sentenced to prison at such a young age. And, you know, we have a lot of youth, a lot of young adults that are probably going through this situation right now. Uh, Maybe you've got some words of wisdom to them, but I just wanted to ask you to kind of start off for our listeners. um, What was it like being told that you were going to be sentenced to like a maximum security facility for a number of years? You know, it was interesting. Thank you again, Adrian, for 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 giving me space to be able to talk about this. This is um, a topic that's very, very important to me, um, and I'm passionate about. Uh, you know, back in those back in those days in the in the mid to late '90s, it was an interesting time in our country where uh, it wasn't it was it wasn't unheard of for a prosecutor or a judge to walk into a courtroom and address a juvenile. Um, as an adult. In fact, there was the time where you started to hear more of these conversations around certifying young kids as adults in the justice system when they thought that the crime that they committed warranted such. Now, that crime could, you know, it, it, it could be anything. And there was a lot of discretion that, that was had on the, prosecut- on the prosecution side. Um, and we can have a conversation about, you know, uh, prosecutorial reform and what that needs to look like later. But one of the things I think that was interesting is that, um, when I sat in that box as a 15 year old kid and I was facing 23 years to life um, for for stealing a man's car, um, I honestly didn't understand the legal ramifications of the decision that I made. And so while I was a sophomore in high school and still standing in front of a judge after being arrested um, at 15 years old, you know, just a few, you know, a few weeks prior, um, when I got sentenced to the eight years, uh, I honestly just didn't understand, you know, what was happening. 
um, I lived in my own delirium. And so I honestly thought that when the judge said, I'm going to sentence you to eight years in adult maximum security prisons, that that what that really meant was I'm going to show you a lesson. I'm going to smack you on the wrist. And then hopefully, you know, in a, in a few days, um, you will have learned that this is, uh, you know, people don't just go out here and start stealing cars from folks. Um, maybe you'll go back to school. You'll have enjoy your homecoming. Um, you enjoy, you know, your senior prom in a couple of years. Um, and just maybe you'll be able to celebrate Christmas with your friends the way that you all you dreamt about. Uh, but that wasn't my reality. The judge, when they did sentence me to eight years, they sent me back to my cell. Um, and my, my lawyer had to really explain to me like, Hey, Marcus, we're going to work on these things. We're going to work on a re asking for a reconsideration. But in the meantime, I want you to focus on, um, you know, continuing to read and staying positive. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like <laughs> read and stay positive. Like, dude, like I'm going to be out next weekend. Don't even worry about <laughs> it. Just figure it out. You know what I mean? Talk to my mom, maybe go talk to the judge or something. Like I'll be out next weekend. And my lawyer, you know, he was looking at me like, this is weird, but okay. You know what I mean? Like, he thinks he's going to get out next weekend. I mean, clearly the judge said <laughs> he's going to have to do these eight years. But, um, you know, I, I felt that way for like the next month and the next six months and the next year. Um, when they transferred me to a, a larger prison from out of the jail, I was like, oh, okay, cool. They transferred me to the prison. Oh, now they're really trying to teach me a lesson. I get it. You know what I mean? I can dig it. I'll be home before my junior year ends, right? You know, I, I still got a couple of years of high school. If I can repair my GPA and take a couple of summer, you know, summer school courses, I'll be able to get back on the basketball team and make that 2.75. You know, like that was my brain, right? It wasn't until two years in when I was walking around the prison rec yard with my friend Danny B, who was in his mid-50s. Because, you know, prison is one of the only places where you can be like 17 and um, you have a best friend that's in his mid-50s. And we were walking <laughs> around our, uh, our rec yard and I was asking him, I'm like, yo, bro, how long have you been here? Because by that time, I had been in for two years, right? And two years to a teenager is like, Dude, like I've been in for a very long time. Like, you know, this is a lifetime. You know what I mean? Um, and so when he had told me he had served 31 years, I'm like, oh, and literally my heart dropped because that's when I realized that I was gonna have to serve all eight of mine. And then that's when I snapped out of that delirium uh and turned into an angry Marcus who only saw the possibilities of dying in prison as a teenager. Wow. You know, that's, that's an interesting story, Mark. Cause I, I, you know, I can't imagine what that would be like. I, I've been watching, um, how to get away with murder. I feel behind the curve cause I know it's been out for a long time. I'm watching <laughs> everybody get sentenced to these, you know, big, you know, lifelong, you know, lifetime sentences. And I'm just like thinking about, you know, if I were in that situation at 15, cause I mean, when I was 15, I, I, I was thinking about, you know, becoming president. I still want to be that. So I'm just like, I can't imagine to, you know, get told, you know, for the next eight years, you don't have your freedom. And when you think about what you just, that last thing you ended on, which, which is just kind of death. You, I mean, I, I think I read on the website, you were just saying that if it had not been for your mom, um, you, you wouldn't have been able to make it. I mean, you know, she was writing to you, keeping you strong. And I wanted to kind of pick up on that because we've been doing a lot of conversations on mental health. And, you know, I feel like we as as a society, we feel like, you know, if you're incarcerated, your rights, your mental health doesn't matter, but it really does. So I wanted to kind of ask you, uh, Marcus, when it comes to that mental health and the mental well-being of our uh, citizens who are incarcerated, how important is it really to retain that communication with one's family and loved ones to actually get them through rehabilitation? You know, it's interesting. That's a great question. I mean, one of the interesting stats that I learned, you know, uh, you know, while being in this work is that there's 600,000 people that come home from jail or prison every single year in the U.S. I mean, 600 
thousand every year, right? And the question I ask myself is, how are they going to be returning back to my community? How they come? In, how they returning back to my neighborhood? And if I'm if if if, if I'm being thoughtful about that, um, and I and I also reflect back on my situation as I continue to grow up in those prison cells in year two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight growing up in those cells, I'll tell you that the you're right. It was my mom who saved my life during that time. My mom made a commitment to me when she saw me starting to cripple and become that angry man and believe that death was imminent for me. She made a promise in the prison visiting room to write me a letter or send me a picture every day from that day forward for the next six years of my prison sentence. Now, that promise could only typically be made by a mother, right? Like only a mother's love will allow for them to commit with a level of consistency to some, you know, to something that, you know, typically doesn't even have a, a, a beneficial outcome. Um, and, 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 you know, one thing that prison will do, it will rob you of all hope and aspiration, right? It's hard to find inspiration inside of those prison cells, especially as a teenager when you're feeling as though life around you is collapsing. Um, but my mom's letters did save my life and it kept me connected to the world in a way that was most interesting um, because most people in prison don't have that opportunity. There's no real, you know, social media or emailing, easy emailing or texting or, you know, any of the technologies that allow us to digest content every day out here um, for those millions of people that are in prison. And my mom, she, you know, consistently gave me those photos of my cousins, you know, eating funnel cake and, you know, before they got on a roller coaster, the, the photos of a cheeseburger at, you know, at Fridays or, you know, a, 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 a picture of a mattress at a, a local department store. Like those things were the window to what life could look like for me once I got released. And um, when I was finally released in 2004, I knew what my bedroom was going to look like. I knew what my mom's coworkers looked like. And I understood her, what, you know, her job roles were because she would write me a long letter saying, hey, Marcus, one day you're going to enjoy your fat, juicy burger when you come home. Marcus, one day you're going to sleep on a nice pillow top mattress. One day you're going to meet my amazing coworkers and you're going to find out why Lynn always buys me lunch on Thursdays. Like these is these are things that, you know, most people in prison just don't have access to. And um, I was blessed to be able to have that through my mom. It gave me a level of hope um, that most people didn't have. And so when I came home, I was like hitting the ground running, trying to figure out how to leverage uh, the relationships and social capital that I had been building alongside my mom over the last several years. Wow. Wow. That's, you know, that was, that was one of the biggest takeaways we got out of prison reform is, is making sure that there's actually a plan for when our formerly incarcerated come back into our communities. Because as you said, you know, 600, you know, thousand people, that's a, that's a lot of people. It's a lot of people back into the community. <laughs> and when you think about it, I mean, that's a, uh, you know, we, we're having this whole conversation about the labor force breaking down right now. I think there's like 10 million jobs out there who are not being taken up. And there are formerly incarcerated citizens who could, you know, obviously not 10 million of them, but could actually help out with that. So I'm glad you said that, Marcus. Um, what we're going to do, we're going to take a quick little break here, listeners. When we come back, we want to get into uh, Marcus's business. Uh, so stick with us. We'll be right back. listening to the Black Agenda podcast. We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, IG and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All 
right, listeners, welcome back. Let's get into our second segment. We're continuing our conversation with Marcus Bullock. Uh, we wanted to really talk about his business, uh, Flick Shop, in this segment here. Um, picking up where we left off, we talked about how important uh, Marcus's uh, mother's letters were to him uh, with getting him through that. And, you know, really, really great business that you've got here, uh, Marcus. Just in case our listeners maybe maybe not have, are familiar with it. Um, could you just kind of give us a quick little description overview of the mission and the work your company does? Yeah, absolutely. You know, thank you so much again for having me on, um, having me on today's episode. I'm super excited to, to introduce our listeners to, to Flickshop. We built the, the technology that helps keep families connected to their incarcerated loved ones. Our users are able to go to the Apple iOS app store or Android, Google Play Store, or even visit us at flickshop.com. And when they download our free mobile app, it allows them the ability to take a picture, add some quick text, press send, and for 99 cents, we print that picture and text on a real tangible postcard and we ship it to any person in any sale anywhere in the country. Now, it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, the importance of, you know, maintaining your mental health while you're in prison. Because one of the things that we want to do with FlickShop is figure out how to leverage tech and data to reduce recidivism. And we know that if we're being very thoughtful about keeping our families connected along the journey while also maintaining the familial relationships that will help preserve your mental health while you're there and also add a level of accountability um, to your life post-release, uh, we know that we are being successful at contributing to reduce recidivism. Now, we're excited to continue to collect data along the journey to be able to uh, produce the outcomes that show how important it is to be able to stay connected along the journey. Um, now, anecdotally, we know that, you know, folks, when they go to college, um, they know that it's important to come home during the weekends and have those conversations with mom and dad and the brother and sister and to see the cousins during the summer break. It's important to be able to have the relationships with the, the uncle and the aunt that would potentially get you your, 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 your latest job, uh, you know, once you graduate or your, your newest internship during your junior year of college, right? The same ways that we're being thoughtful about contributing to a legion of people who want to create success for themselves coming out of these colleges and universities are the same levels of attention in social capital along with resources that we want to give to people coming out of these prison cells. We all want to be able to figure out a way to contribute back to our communities. Um, what that looks like is going to be predicated on the support that we give to folks today. Uh, we want to be able to build the tools to allow for that sort of support to be slightly easier. Good, good. I mean, it's, I always say that, you know, in our country, we've got so many resources. There's not a reason we can't fix a lot of our issues, except for the fact that we don't have the proper leadership to get the things done. Because, I mean, what you're talking about, I mean, we could, I mean, this could be a national wide program that the government's rolling out. But it takes, you know, entrepreneurs like yourself to fill in these inefficiencies that the government has kind of created. And that's, you know, that's one of my biggest frustrations with our country is that, you know, government is supposed to be here to help inefficiencies. But, you know, we have to have our private sector, you know, struggle and, and work so hard to get, you know, some justice here. And we see that you're doing that. I mean, you even have different ways that others can get involved uh, to help a family in need. I think it's the uh, Flick Shop Angel Program. I wanted to make sure to get that in here. So that way, if our listeners are listening, uh, maybe they want to participate in this. But uh, tell us about that program and where you see it going. 
You know, the interesting thing about Flickshop Angels, it, this came as an accidental launch that happened as a result of our good friend, John Legend, who wanted to figure out a way to contribute to our families. And when John reached out and said, hey, Marcus, you know, I don't know anyone currently incarcerated, but I think that there has to be tons of families who could benefit from us helping them to stay connected to their loved one that's incarcerated. And how do we do that? And so we, we, we launched Flickshop Angels just to be able to make that happen. John came in and he purchased t- tens of thousands of Flickshop credits that we ended up giving to children with incarcerated parents to allow for them to send photos to their mom and dad completely for free. And what that allowed us to be able to do was also roll out an opportunity for the rest of our community to band together and, and support these children. The interesting thing about the children with the incarcerated parents is that these are the invisible victims of incarceration that very that most of us don't talk about. These are folks that haven't committed a crime at all, but yet they're the ones that suffer the most because their mom or their dad is sitting somewhere behind bars. And we wanted to be able to make sure that they had the ability to send them as many funny face selfies as they wanted completely for free. Today, our Flickshop angels can visit us at Flickshop.com and they'll be able to click on the option to be able to become a Flickshop angel, whether they know someone incarcerated or not. And they can, as just like John Legend did, take 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, and purchase Flickshop credits that we give to our children all around the country with incarcerated parents so that they can send all of those funny face TikTok selfies <laughs> to their loved one as much as they want. This is the interesting time of the year because, you know, this is the, the first day of school pictures that are starting to come through. Um, you know, next month we'll start to see those amazing Halloween costumes that are starting to come through. Right behind it, we'll start seeing the, the Thanksgiving dinner tables and the, 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 the pictures that the kids want to send to their mom from that. And then there'll be the, the Christmas photos, right? So these are the very interesting seasons for children, um, and we want to be able to help support them because they didn't commit any crimes, um, but yet they want to support and show love to their, their mom or dad, and we'd like to make that happen. Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, one of the things that people don't realize is whenever you um, put those children through trauma, if you don't properly handle it, they can potentially be our future, you know, incarcerated because that's, it's a cycle. I mean, I grew up, you know, when, when my dad was an alcoholic, my mom didn't graduate high school. And that was kind of how our family was. A lot of alcoholics, a lot of people didn't go to school. And I broke that cycle. I mean, it, it, it takes us stepping in to do that. And, and that leads me into the, the, you know, this next little question here, because, you know, Marcus, you saw an inefficiency, you capitalize on it. You're you know an entrepreneur and you're making it happen, which brings, you know, prosperity for your family, but also a lot for the community. And, and in my mind, you know, social justice entrepreneurs, we need more of those right now, whether it's for policing, for climate change, for term limits, we, we need more people to try to figure out if government's not going to help our communities, how can I start a business or what can I do to help out? So for the last question in this segment here, what's some advice that you can give to other, you know, social justice entrepreneurs like yourself? and trying to find that balance with, you know, having a business, but also having a purpose. Yeah, that's a great question. I'm grateful that you answered it. I have a couple of ways that I want to respond to it. But the first one I want to say is let's all make a commitment today to stop the analysis paralysis. 
one of the things that we had that I see often inside of this community of entrepreneurs is that we think too long and hard about the impact that we want to create in the world and we design around it without executing on some of our amazing ideas. The reality of the, of that scenario is that you're robbing the world of your agility when you know that you can continue to learn and adjust along the journey. If you have this amazing idea, Stop thinking about it and do something today that contributes towards your goal. Do not underestimate the amount of effort that it's going to take in order to accomplish your goal. And equally, do not underestimate the amount of adversity that you're going to have to overcome to accomplish your goal. If we're being very thoughtful about those two things while avoiding the analysis paralysis of sitting down on your sofa and just thinking about all the could'ves and what'ves and should'ves of your business idea, um, then I think that we'll see a lot more impact in the world because the majority of the ideas that we're all developing, especially in today's social climate, are centered around ways to make the world a better place, whether it's through a product or a service or not. One of the other things that I say to those um, entrepreneurs outside of like jumping out of the window and building your parachute on the way down um, <laughs> is, 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 is also being thoughtful about weaving in your community to your ideas. We can't go with this alone. I heard someone say that um, if it's easier to make $500,000 with two people than it is to be able to make $250,000 with one. Right. And as I think about how we weave community in, whether it be through our Flick Shop Angels project, whether it be through our Flick Shop School of Business curriculum that's designed to teach returning citizens the skills centered around entrepreneurship and the strategies that they need to deploy upon being released. Any of those things that we're intentional about doing at Flick Shop only allows us to be able to create more brand equity inside of the market space to allow others to be able to hear about us and learn about the amazing work that we're doing. Stop dwelling inside of this place of obscurity, mostly because you're fearful of the, the business that you're wanting to create not succeeding. Weave your community in and then go back to rule number one, which is jump out the window without a parachute and build it on the way down. Believe me, <laughs> the community will help you from falling and hitting splat. No, I like that, Marcus. You know, that that's kind of how I, I do things. It's like, you know, I, I got the idea. Let's just go ahead and do it. We'll we'll work out the kinks along the way because it's about doing it. I mean, it's, you know, some people laugh at me whenever I say I'm going to run for president. They're like, well, you got to do this and this and this. I'm just like, well, that may have been right for these people, but I'm just going to be somebody different. I'm just going to do it. You know, people are going to build it up because, like you said, if you – bring in the community and have that clear vision of what you're wanting to do, not for you, but for the community, like you said, people will help build you up. So thank you for saying that. Uh, listeners, uh, make sure you take that uh, on, on with you on the break and kind of dwell on that, stew on that. When we come back after this break, uh, we're going to do our last question segment where we just want to get some insight into the Justice Policy Institute. So listeners, stick with us. We'll be right back. you like to contribute to a scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show.
All right, listeners, welcome back here. We're getting into our final uh, segment here uh, with Marcus Bullock. Uh, Marcus, I just wanted to get a quick little question about the Justice Policy Institute before we do our final message, because y'all are doing some great things. Uh, if you don't mind, just give our listeners you know, just a quick overview of what the Justice Policy Institute stands for and the work you're doing. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm, I'm super grateful to be able to sit on the board um, at the Justice Policy Institute. One of the things that I get excited about when I think about, you know, the work that's happening around the reform conversations is how we're being thoughtful about policy and decisions that and how we're not only the policy decisions, but how we're leading those policy decisions, how we're engaging with some of the legislators, how we're bringing people that are impacted by the justice system to the table. And I think that the wonderful thing about what JSPI is doing over there is that they're being very thoughtful about bring, doing all of those things, weaving people that are just as impacted into the conversation, being thought, very thoughtful about the research that they're doing to be able to help influence some of the legislation, the leg, legislative decisions around criminal justice reform um, efforts. And being, and, and, and I think very, being very specific about place-based um, decision making, as we think about what's happening in Virginia, in Maryland, in D.C., and all of the laws governing which, which we all know that in D.C., right, like the federal government is like kind of sort of the determining factor, or the barometer for how states make decisions. Um, and so JPI being centered here in Washington D.C. and being very thoughtful about how they engage folks on the Hill and a lot of those decision makers um, is where I think a lot of the, the the policy decisions will continue to lie in the future. Um, we have a quite a big work, a bit of work left to do um, around the country, um, but I'm excited about the direction that uh, that the, the, the JPI is taking um, as, as as far from a research standpoint. Yeah, there's a lot of work. Uh, social justice. I feel like we're going to be we were fighting for these issues, you know, 100, 200 years ago. And we're still fighting for them today. So it's going to be a lot more work. And just to kind of round up our, our episode, Marcus, uh, we always like to be a little reflective. And one thing I wanted to hit on, because we've got, you know, a lot of youth, I think with the Supreme Court, uh, they kind of said that, you know, you can be sentenced to life, you know, without parole as a juvenile now. Uh, based on what the Supreme Court said. I wanted to kind of end the episode with that in mind because you said prison took away your childhood. It took away your dream that made it crippled you from all hope. So for people, you know, who may have some teenagers out there who may need to sit them down and listen to this final message, you know, what would you say to some folks out there? Maybe if they're not even teenagers, but some folks who may be on the edge of where you were when you were 15 and getting ready to make that bad decision that affected your total life. What would you say to them right now to kind of point them in the right direction? You know, that's still always a tough one because, you know, when I think back to the 15 year old Marcus that I was, a lot of the decisions that I was making was centered around um, the birds of the feather that I just flocked together with, right? A lot of the folks who I hung around helped influence my decision. And my friend, one of my best friends says that all the time. He talked, he has this, um, this, this quote that he uses, your network is your net worth. And he has a t-shirt where he wears it almost every day. It says your network is your net worth. And as I think about the five people who were in, in, in my, um, in my walk to school, the five people who I hung out with outside of my apartment building, the five people who I hung out with on the weekends, right? Those were the people that would help lead some of my decision making. And as I think about what that means for me, the very first thing I would have told my 15 year old self back then was, be thoughtful about who you really want to hang around that's centered around your actual goals. That's the one thing like, you know, we all have these goals and we think that we can do them in isolation. And most times we don't even share them with other people, let alone hang around or associate with the folks that are already successful inside of that space. 
the other thing that I want to be able to offer up to our community is that when you're looking at the reason why I, I give like some of my friends who I see on it, so some of the same street corners I hung on, some of this, some of my even my, you know, my family members who may be traveling down a path that looks like something that mirrored when I was, you know, younger is I, I give a little bit of grace because I'm like, look, at the end of the day, you know, you're a product of the environments where you hang. Right. And and as I think about, you know, some of the folks where I where, that live, where I live, like the economic circumstances will kind of sort of dictate what your problem sets are and the solutions and how you divide, divide, divorce those solutions are also predicated on what those problems look like. And if they don't look like something that that, that, that mirrors what you'll see in a more affluent area, um, then it look, it's, it's weird and it's crazy. And it's like, oh, my gosh, it's scary. Now, nah, what it looks like is survival. It looks like survival. So if you have a family member that is in survival mode, first I ask, say, offer grace. The second thing I say is to be able to be one of the mentors that give them the exposure that they need to see what the possibilities are that lie in front of them that don't look like the possibilities that they think they have. Right. The reality is I didn't think that I had while I knew I wanted to go to the NBA. I didn't know a path to see what that looked like. I didn't, while I knew I wanted to go to Duke University when I was 15 years old, I had never hung around other people who went to a private university that was far away from their home. Like these are people that I should have hung around. These are people that I would have loved for my mom to be able to bring me around. These are folks who I would have been exposed to that would give me the social capital, the resources, and the, the, the skill sets that I needed in order to be able to further advance those dreams or desires. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a, a different road than many, and I'm going to say it's not the per, it's not the 15 year old's responsibility. It's the parents, the grandparents, and the community's responsibility to figure out a way to give access social capital and resources to these amazingly brilliant teenagers who are going to figure out a way to solve their problems, whatever their problems look like. Man, Marcus, that is awesome. I see why you're a TED speaker now. Uh, Amazing, amazing. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. uh, And I see very successful. I can't wait to have you back on the show with us, Marcus. Um, You've got amazing insight, uh, a wealth of knowledge there uh, in so many different areas. I feel like we could talk, you know, from prison, entrepreneurship to a bunch of things. So uh, listeners, um, you've been listening to uh, Marcus Bullock. He's a board of director member of the Justice Policy Institute, also the founder and CEO of FlickShop. Uh, Marcus, it was a pleasure to get a chance to know, you know, what y'all are doing with the Justice Policy Institute, who you are as a person, what your business is doing. Uh, like I said, I can't wait to have you back on the show again. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. All right, listeners. Well, I'm going to take my last break. and I'm going to come back and do my ending. Uh, so stick with us. We'll be right back. have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guest and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcast or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, welcome back. Let's go ahead and do our ending here. Um, just to give you a little insight into the upcoming schedule for this week, we're going to be doing weekly roundup number 15 on September the 25th. That's going to be this Saturday coming out live for you. Plenty of news, a lot of stuff to cover. So don't uh, forget to set your calendars for that so you can join us for all your news for the week. Also, we're going to be doing our regularly scheduled episode on Tuesday. 
this one is going to be the shock in the labor market episode where we're going to be talking about how the pandemic has affected our labor market. We're going to be joined by Dr. Valerie Wilson. She's part of the Economic Policy Institute. She's their director over race, ethnicity, and the economy. So really, really great conversation. That's going to be released on Tuesday. That's going to be September the 28th. As always, we love to encourage you to donate. Just go to our website, blackagendapod.com. Click that donate tab. If you're listening in the Podbean app, there's also a donate button there. Whenever you do sign up to donate, you'll become a monthly patron where you'll get gifts. Gifts range from shout outs to uh, show suggestions. You can even be on our show. So please donate to us. We always tell you, you know, Devin and I, we're not just trying to do a podcast. We're really trying to grow this thing into an actual organization, into an actual movement. And it's something that's going to bring change into the communities that we're talking about. So we need your help to do that. The other thing we like to do is make mention of another charity. And for the month of September, we've selected the charity 100 Black Made of America. The mission of the 100 is to improve the quality of life within our communities and enhance educational and economic opportunities for all African-Americans. They seek to serve as a beacon of leadership by utilizing their diverse talents to create environments where our children are motivated to achieve, and they work to empower our people to become self-sufficient shareholders in the economic and social fabric of the communities that they serve. So a really, really powerful mission and vision there. Also, remember, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Black Agenda Pod. Again, that's at Black Agenda Pod. Pull your phones out now. Make sure you follow us. Like everything you see. Share everything you see so you can get our mission out there even further. Lastly, thank you to Marcus Bullock and Flickshop and the Justice Policy Institute for making it available for him to be here. And listeners, thank you. Uh, you are the one that, you know, you're the reason why we do this, to make sure that we can communicate with you, educate you have a relationship with you so we can make sure that we're building our communities together. So we appreciate you uh, for sticking with us and listening to this conversation today. We'll catch you next time. 